our speaker here this morning, Austin Royal. Austin is the campus minister with Reform University Fellowship, RUF, right down the street at Austin P. State University. Um, he is in the process. Well, he's finished the licensure with our licensure exams and all of that. He and Luke both, actually, uh, with our Nashville Presbytery. And they are both in the process of still preparing for ordination. So if they're limping on occasion, if they look tired and haggard on occasion, you know why. Let me explain real quickly what RUF is. Uh, Reform University Fellowship is the official campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America. That's the denomination of which we are a part. Every one of those campus ministers is seminary trained and ordained under the oversight and authority of a local presbytery. We sit in what's referred to as the Nashville Presbytery. Dave was praying just a few moments ago about the annual meeting of our General Assembly. That was just this past week. That's when members of all the presbyteries gather together at that annual meeting. Austin, again, is one of, he's about, well, yeah, he really is a member of our uh, Nashville Presbytery. He is, a, like I said, a campus minister, Seminary train, Westminster up in Philadelphia, also happens to be my next door neighbor. So go figure. Austin, come on up here. Am I all nice? Or good? Okay. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, as I just said, I'm campus minister at Austin P and happy to be here and um, thankful to be preaching to you this morning. If you would uh, turn to Psalm 103. Uh, and before I read it, just a couple of things of introduction. Uh, this is a passage that you may or may not be familiar with, but there will be key verses that you distinctly know because they pop up in worship services all the time. And there's a reason for that. This is a beautiful psalm. Uh, it describes God in a way that no one could come up with on their own. You can't come up with this. Uh, and so what we get to see is God through the voice of his servant David, describing himself to us. Uh, and we read earlier Exodus 34. It's pretty clear that David was thinking about the book of Exodus right before he wrote this psalm. And I think he got to Exodus 34, read it, and this is what came out of him. And all the themes of Exodus are there. And if you know what Exodus is about, it's about God's redemption in the Old Testament, pulling uh, uh, Israel out of Egypt, redeeming them, calling them to be a people for himself. Um, and we see these similar themes there in Psalm 103. But think about this also. David, he's a person. He's a person like, like you and me. And he's dwelling on another book of the Bible. He's meditating on it, thinking, how do I apply this to my life? How do I fit this into my life? Remember these things. Um, so with that in mind, let me read Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are beautiful, and your word is beautiful. But we need you to prove yourself to us this morning that you are a Heavenly Father. And I pray that you would do that now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When I was in college... I have this very distinct memory of me and three of my friends in a car at the beach. I'm driving my Silva Honda Accord, and we're listening to a song. And it's a song that I knew very well, and one of my other friends in the car knew very well. And as we're listening to the song, uh, it's just a beautiful song. Musically, lyrically, the instrument used, the band brings in a quartet to play with them. Uh, It's a beautiful song, and it's the type of song that sticks with you. It starts out slow, and then it builds up, and then I'll let you down a little bit, and then it builds you back up a little farther, and then I'll let you back down, and then it builds you up to this climactic peak, and then it slowly lets you back down, and this letdown point comes with about two minutes left in the song, so it slowly eases you to the end of the song, Um, and as the song was winding down, we're driving in our car, as I often did with this song, I thought, I wish this song would never end. I wish it would keep going and going and going. Uh, and seconds later, my friend, who knew the song very well, also, he said this, this song takes me to a place I wish I could stay. And when he said that, I said, that's it. That's what I'm feeling. Um, and I felt this sentiment many times in my life, and I think you probably have two in some way or another. Um, you get caught up in something so beautiful, so life-giving, that you don't want it to end. Um, and I think for most of us, we would connect some of these feelings to art. Um, art helps us put words uh, on our emotion. It makes us feel things that we don't often feel. Um, It takes us to places that we know we can't get to ourselves, but when we see it, we think that's it. Um, Our feelings, our our imaginations, they get wrapped up in uh, what we're seeing, and it inspires us, and it changes us. Um, It makes us feel alive in ways that we didn't before we put on the headphones or before we pulled out the paintbrush. And now all of a sudden, we want this to be the story of our lives. Uh, I think when we come to Psalm 103, God wants us to feel something like that. He wants us to wrap ourselves up in this psalm 
to find our hearts there, to attach our hearts to it, to let it take you to a place that you actually want to stay. Um, let the first 12 verses do that for you. And then let the end of it tell you why you can do that. Uh, we're going to look at two things today. The steadfast love of God and the steadfast Father. Uh, so first, the steadfast love of God. As you come to the psalm, you see bookends at the beginning of the front, or the front and the end. David's calling people to bless the Lord. And all that really means is what you think it might. Just praise God. Worship God. Um, but it's a little more intimate than that because it actually is connected to the word adore. David wants you to adore God, to delight yourself in God, and he connects it to the benefits of God. Forget not these benefits. Uh, and a better way to think about it is don't forget the good things of God. Think about the way the good things of God spill over into your life. And what we see is forget not these good things. He forgives your iniquity. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love, satisfies you, renews your strength, brings justice to the oppressed. Um, every day we wake up and, and we have this running tape of our mind of thoughts about ourselves, thoughts about God, thoughts about the world around us, thoughts about our to-do list, our responsibilities, um, the good that came earlier in the week or the bad, the good or bad that may come later in the week. And David is saying, hey, that's taking up rent space in your, space in your mind, and you need God to fit into those places. Make room for the steadfast love of God in those places. Remember who your God is. Don't forget. And David, he lets us know that uh, this is real life. Death, disease, weakness, dust, oppression, injustice. These are the places where you live your life. This doesn't miss you. It maps onto the reality of your life. And he's saying, soul, remember God in these places. God is at work in these places. Remember the way his goodness spills over into your life here. Um, as we look at this psalm, a theme begins to develop. One of the good things that gets repeated over and over again is this word steadfast love. Um, it pops up in verse 4. In verse 8, pops up in verse 11, in verse 17. Um, and if you saw uh, your quotes and notes, there was a quote by Sandra McCracken where she talks about the steadfast love of God, and she likens it to vinegar. vinegar. Um, she says, God's steadfast love is like vinegar. Vinegar has an edge to it. It packs a punch. Uh, if vinegar is open in the room, that's what you smell. If vinegar is in a dish and it's used just a little too much, that's what you taste. Uh, it demands to be the loudest voice in the room. And she's telling you when God's love pops up, when it shows up in a passage, it is the loudest voice in the room. And you need to hear it. And you have to listen to it. Perk your ears up because everything else is trumped by the steadfast love of God. And you might know this word. It's a word that pops up in sermons all the time. It's called hesed. Uh, the Hebrew word is hesed. And uh, it's a word that we kind of have a hard time describing. Uh, we're not really sure how to put the steadfast love of God uh, into one word. And so in your, pat, in, your, in your psalm, it might show up as grace, might show up as love, or most of the time they put a little more emphasis on it. So 
unconditional love, loving kindness, steadfast love. These are the words that pop up in our passage. Um, But how do you describe in one word what the God of the universe thinks of you? It's not easy, um, but we're going to look at Psalm 103 and let it try and tell us more of what the steadfast love of God is. Um, Let it sink in. Let's look at verse 4. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Uh, Think about this. When you crown something, there's two ways to think about it. One is you've been crowned with the steadfast love of God so you've been given a new status. The steadfast love of God gives you a new identity. You are now crowned by the king so that you are now a son and daughter. Your identity has changed because of steadfast love. But there's another way to think about crowning. Uh, the word can also mean surrounds. Think about a crown surrounding someone's head. Uh, steadfast love surrounds you. It wraps you up in bubble wrap. It covers you. And it's more than that. It comes into every tiny detail of your life. It keeps popping up because it's always there. It's never not around you. Uh, look at verse 8. Uh, steadfast love is abounding. It's plentiful. There is no end to it. It's like a broken fire hydrant pouring out into your life over and over and over again. It does not stop. Steadfast love keeps pouring into your life. Uh, Y'all know this this slogan, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Um, It's what Las Vegas says, hey, come and live your life however you want for four or five days. Uh, no strings attached, and then leave as if none of it ever happened. And we laugh and think, you know, that's not exactly true, because we know if you go and get a police record in Vegas, or you go and get debt, it's going to follow you. But they're saying, hey, come and live your life however you want. Um, And we know that's not true, because we know that guilt and shame follow us. Uh, We regret things, and we remember things, and it follows us. And the thing is, For most of us, the things we regret, they didn't happen in Vegas. They happened in Clarksville. They happened back in high school. So that when you go home and see your family, you're reminded of it. They happened your freshman year of college when you think you have this one year to do whatever you want. It happened last night at 9.30. Like These are the places where guilt, regret, they seep into our lives. And we need a God who comes in and says, steadfast love is alive there. And that's what he does in verse 11 and 12. Look down. This is where David begins to hit a little bit harder. And we have to read 11 and 12 together. They were meant to be read together. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Steadfast love is abounding, and it actually extends to the heaven. Um, You know what the Andromeda galaxy is? Uh, It's the galaxy that's next to the Milky Way, which is the one we're in. Um, It's the furthest thing that the human eye can see. So if you get this super-duper telescope and you look into it, you can see the galaxy next to ours, which is 2.5 million light years away. Now, I don't know much about light years, but I know that's really far away. Um, And the thing is, Humans cannot move in light years. The fastest thing that could get us to the Andromeda galaxy is 
it would take us like 5 to 10 billion years. So, God loves us that much, if you can think about that. <clears throat> um, but then he connects the same argument to our sin. Steadfast love and your sin are tightly connected. Do you realize that? And it's not just that they're tightly connected. One covers the other. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our sins from us. He removes our transgressions. It's the exact same argument. You cannot calculate it. Um, if you look at verse 17, the next time steadfast love is talked about, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It keeps going. There's a theme here. Do you see it? It's like the old argument I used to use with my friends that maybe some of your five-year-olds use. When someone said, hey, I have a dollar, and they're like, well, I have five dollars. And then the next kid's like, well, I have ten dollars. And then someone says, well, I have infinity dollars. That's what he's doing. Hey, steadfast love is infinity. It's infinite. Um, and if you think about this, we don't really have anyone modeling steadfastness in our lives. We don't know much about steadfastness, which is why this word is so hard to describe, which is why it's so unique, which is why we find it hard, we ha, we find it hard to believe this. It's too elusive. It's too magnificent. Um, it's too hard for us to comprehend. It seems too far off. Um, this abounding, surrounding, steadfast love. And we need someone to take it out of the clouds and bring it into our living rooms so that we can actually relate to it. Um, and that's what David does. He does it in two different ways so that we will actually be able to grasp what steadfast love is. He takes it out of the clouds and he moves it into our living rooms. And here's what you need to know before we move to this next point. God loves you in ways you don't actually understand. Um, and it's really hard for us to believe it. But what David is saying is at the heart of the universe is patient, steadfast love and care, not indifference, not chaos, not nothingness, not a blank stare. At the heart of the universe is steadfast love and care for you and me. And we need to hear that. But again, the universe, this infinity talk, it's hard to understand. Um, so, David takes it out of the clouds and brings it into our living room, does that in two ways, which leads us to our second point. Steadfast Father. David takes this idea of steadfast love and he connects it to two very intimate, vulnerable places in our lives. Right in the middle of steadfast love, two things pop up. Verse 12, or verse 11, 13 and 14. Uh, he takes steadfast love and connects it to a compassionate father and your dusty frame. It's what the psalm hinges on. It takes the first part of the psalm and connects it to a compassionate, heavenly, loving father and your weak, fragile frame. Um, if you want to end a conversation with a stranger, you should ask them about their father. Or you should ask them about their deepest insecurities, their weak places, uh, the places in their life where they feel failure. But... If you're with a friend and you have five hours and you want to know their deepest longings, deepest joys, deepest sorrows and pains, 
Ask them about their father or their deepest insecurities or weaknesses. Steadfast love touches down in places that we don't expect it to, and we need to listen. Um, today's Father's Day, and for some of you, it's a fairly ordinary day, and with a little bit of extra celebration. For some of you, it's the hardest day of the year. It's marked on the calendar as the hardest day of the year, and I'm sorry. Um, some of us had good fathers, and some of us never knew our father, or we wish we never had, and that is really hard. Um, and the thing about fathers is they have a huge impact in our life, and we often associate things with that, and, and God likens himself to a father often. We see it all over Scripture. Um, and what's true of all of us, no matter if you had a good father or not, you cannot mask God in the image of your earthly father. It doesn't matter how good he is. It doesn't look like this. It is not that good. Um, and the problem is, for most of us, whether we had a good father or not, when we think about it, it leads us away from God. Uh, we begin to liken this earthly reality with what was intended to be heavenly. Um, we play the real of our father in our mind, and God becomes this distant, remote, abrasive person. Uh, he's someone that we can't really trust. He didn't show up in the moments where we needed him most. Um, when life is good, it's because dad was, was in a good mood. When life is like hell, it's because dad was in a bad mood. And we think that's what God's like. We play the tape, and that's what pops up. Um, but the essence of fatherly good, the essence of fatherhood is in God. We see that because he's heavenly and perfect, and none of us are. I'm not, no one else in this room is perfect. Um, and David's telling us right here, God is your heavenly father. He protects you. He provides for you. He does all the things that you know were absent in your life because your father was absent. And he says, God does these things perfectly. And they show up in the hard moments of your life. They spill over into those moments. Um, he's a heavenly father that compassionately loves you. And we have to cling to verses 1 through 12 to know that that's true. That his steadfast love is real. We have to cling to these verses because if we don't, we're going to be led astray by all these other thoughts we have. Uh, as you know, I, uh, I've been a father for about eight weeks now. Um, and people always used to say, like, what's the best day of your life? And most of the time in the top two is when your baby is born. I never understood that, and now I do. My baby's awesome. I love that girl. Um, she is so sweet. Um, but you also, I heard this other thing too, when um, you, know, you hear children talking to their, their little children and say, now who loves you? And mommy and daddy love you. Uh, and then someone says, well, who loves you more? And then the child you know, cries out, Jesus, and everyone gets excited. And it's like, um, what are we saying? What are we acknowledging to our child? We love you, but it is not like God's love. It can't be like God's love. We are not steadfast. We are not perfect. I love Lindley, but I am not going to treat her perfectly. I'm going to get frustrated, angry. I'm going to discipline out of, of frustration. I'm not going to love her perfectly. Uh, and God isn't like me. He's not like you. He's not like your dad. He's very different. Um, his steadfast love changes 
right, it changes the way we think about fathers. And we know that he's a heavenly father. And that's where truth, the truth of fatherhood is found. Um, and the thing is, the place where God always meets you with his fatherly love, his compassion, is what we find in verses 14 and 16. Look, he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over and it's gone, and the place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of God meets you where you are weakest. And it doesn't just meet you where you're weakest. It meets you because you are weak. You see that? God knows you are fragile. You have a dusty, fragile frame that is weak, and it will not last long. And God meets you with compassion and love there. Um, In the first two months of Lindley's life, I've often found myself asking, why did God make human babies so helpless? Uh, You think about it, there, there are plenty of animals that come out of the womb, and they are running, sprinting. They do not need their parents they are killing things. Um, they are providing for themselves. Uh, if you leave a, a human baby for 24 hours alone, they're not going to make it. They're just not. They are totally helpless and dependent. I find myself asking why. Um, and I think there's a reason. Uh, God is showing us that we are weak and fragile people. And we don't just start out weak and fragile. We end up weak and fragile. And everything in between, we are weak and fragile. Think about this. It doesn't matter if you're 2, 20, 40, 60, 80. You are weak. You are dust. In the grand scheme of things, we are not going to last that long. This is what it's saying. And it's saying, hey, steadfast love is going to last forever. And you're not. And not that you're not going to last that long. It's like, we need everlasting love in our lives. And we need it to touch down in the places where we're weakest And God comes in and says, you know what, that's where I love you the most. Uh, We've had too many people take advantage of us in our weakness. Uh, We've learned to cover that up. Uh, We've learned to protect ourselves. We've learned to not let people in. We've learned that we need to prove ourselves um, before the face of others to ourselves. And God is saying, you know what, I know what you're like, and it's okay. I still love you. Uh, my steadfast love is found there. And the thing about Lindley is all she has right now is a face. It's a cute little face because everything else she does, it's, it's poopy diapers, it's a lack of sleep, it's crying. She has nothing to offer. She brings nothing to the table except her face. And I love her just the same. And God looks down and he does the exact same thing with us because we are his children. God says, I'm your father. You are my child, and I will wrap you in steadfast love forever. If you would just turn and trust me. Trust me to be what Psalm 103 says I am. Um, So the question is, when you think about Christianity, the God of Christianity, who do you think of? What do you think of? Uh, What comes to mind? Because if he doesn't look like Psalm 103, you have the wrong God. It's just wrong. Some of you think Christianity is weird, uh, is worthless, but you need to know that's what you're saying is worthless. That's what you need to know. At the center of the universe, there is a heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you. Um, 
and he cares for you where you're fragile, where you fail, where you're imperfect. Uh, I'll close with this. The song I told you about in the beginning, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's, it's a song by the Dave Matthews Band, and it's called The Stone. Um, it's on before these crowded streets. But uh, it's a song that when I listen to it, I don't want it to end. It takes me to a place that I want to stay. Uh, and there's many reasons for that. As I've already told you, it's beautiful. Uh, musically, instrumentally, lyrically, like, it's just a great song. Um, but here's the thing. Some of you, you've heard that song, and it didn't do anything for you. Like, it was just another song. Uh, others of you may go home and listen to the song, and you're not going to like it. And you're going to think I'm weird, and that's okay. Um, because the song isn't just a great song in and of itself. I've attached meaning to it. I've connected it to my life. Uh, when I hear the first chord, it takes me back to the beach in 2007. And I'm there with my friends. When I hear Dave Matthews' voice, I'm reminded of my first concert. I'm reminded of listening to the Dave Matthews Band with my brothers and cousins and bonding over the music with it. I've attached feelings and emotions to it. Um, the song goes deeper than the actual song itself. It touches deeper in me. Um, I've added to it my own experience. I've attached things to it. Um, and when you look at Psalm 103, you have to attach Jesus to it. His shadow is all over the psalm. Um, if you don't see Jesus in the background of every verse, you're going to think, oh, this is cool and it sounds good, but I can't believe this. Like, how, how do you believe something like this? If you don't attach Jesus to the psalm, you're not going to believe it. Um, Jesus is the one who makes forgiveness possible. Jesus is the one who binds up your wounds. Jesus is the one who takes your crown of shame and guilt, the crown of thorns, and gives you the crown of steadfast love. Jesus is the one who brings justice and righteousness to the oppressed. He's the one who gives you strength, satisfies you. He's the one that makes it so God doesn't have to repay wrong for wrong. The reason God doesn't have to be angry with you is because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who allows you to believe God is your heavenly Father. Because as Galatians 4 and Romans 8 tell us, you have been adopted into His family because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who takes on our dusty frame and lives a life that we can never live so that we can be in heaven one day with our Heavenly Father. Um, it's one thing for the God of the universe to say, I love you, with steadfast love. It's another thing when He comes out of heaven and dies on the cross for you. That's what steadfast love does. When you have no reason to come after these dusty, weak, fragile beings and you move the universe to show your love for them. And that's what God has done for us. And if you actually believe that, it will change you. It will change the way you see the world. It will change the way you see your, par uh, your parents, your family, your kids. Um, to know that God has loads and loads of steadfast love for you. And I pray that we would see that. And I will pray for us now. Heavenly Father, uh, you tell such a different story than we expect. And it is always surprising and shocking. Um, and Lord, I thank you for steadfast love, uh, the essence of your being. Everything else falls under it. Um, you have steadfast love for thousands. And I pray that we would actually believe that. 
and give us hearts to believe that, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see ourselves and our children, that we are weak and fragile, and we need to see ourselves accurately. Um, And I pray that as we do that, Lord, we would humbly fall at your feet and believe that you are good, you are a Heavenly Father who loves us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.